0: Okay, good morning everyone. Good to see you. If you've not met me my name is Stuart. I'm the leader of the church here. Very warm welcome to you. If you have a Bible, could you please open it? Find the book of Leviticus, the book of Leviticus. We are going to <laughs> Sorry. We're going to get into that shortly. Now, If you're here today, you have a good call on getting up this morning, coming to join us. We are beginning our new sermon series for the new year, Into His Presence, and we are going to spend weeks between now and Easter, I think it's nine in total, studying uh, the book of Leviticus. Now, I don't know what you know about the book of Leviticus, whether you've been a Christian a little while or a long while, but it hasn't got the best reputation as a book in the Bible, of the 66 books in our Bible, if um, you were to rank them among Christians, of which ones they love and they thought were great, Leviticus would not be in the top 10 or the top 60. Um, maybe not in the top 65, but it wouldn't, it wouldn't be one of those ones. It is not uh, considered particularly interesting, particularly by 21st century Western Christians. We are so far removed from the cultural context, and so when we read it, it just appears weird and strange, and there are some dead funny bits in there, you're like, why is this in God's Word? Um, It's also placed in a position in the Bible, which is unfortunate, because if you're one of those gung-ho Christians who wants to read through God's Word from start to finish, it's placed third, so you get the first two books, you're doing great, all the familiar stuff, and then you suddenly hit Leviticus and you grind to a halt as you wade your way through it. Um, And as a result, I don't know about you, but I've not heard any sermons in my time as a Christian from the book of Leviticus. I've never been through a sermon series in the book of Leviticus. I don't know if any of you have. If you had, I'd be interested to know, but it's not one of those ones. I did some searching online, couldn't really find many churches that had. So you might ask the question, why are we looking at Leviticus here and now. Why are we bothering this? Well, there's two reasons. The first one we can find in 2 Timothy 3, chapter six, uh, verse 16, which we looked at uh, just a few months ago, um, where it says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and for training in righteousness. Key words there are all Scripture, which includes Leviticus. Therefore, Leviticus is a book in the Bible that is God's word. It is breathed out by God and it is profitable for us as God's people. It is useful to teach us and train us and correct us. Second reason we're looking at this is God actually particularly spoke to me about this uh, last year, June time. I can't remember exactly, but I was on, I was on a Zoom <laughs> as many of us were. And it was a leader's one, and we were gathering together kind of for a leader's meeting, and there were people from all over the country, some from all over the world, and we were getting together. And there was a devotional that was being led uh, as as the start of our time together. And the guy leading was actually Andy Martin, who we know at this church. He's preached here. And he led his devotional, and he started with the book of Leviticus, and it just captured my heart. And God did something in me and thought, I need to look into this. And the more I looked into this, the more I thought, I'm going to preach through this, and you guys... (laughs) You guys are the ones who are going to get the benefit of that. So, the plan for this morning is this. Uh, We're going to look at the purpose of the book of Leviticus. We're going to look at its place in the biblical narrative, the biblical story. We're going to look at the structure of the book. We'll look at some themes found in Leviticus. And then we're going to look at how we as a church are going to study this going forward. So, I am going full on teacher mode which is my background as a primary school teacher, and hopefully this will lay foundations for the weeks that are to come as we actually get into um, the text itself. So, the purpose of the book. What is the purpose of the book of Leviticus? Well, Leviticus, um, it means concerning the priests... That's what the name of the books means. Uh, Levi was a son of Jacob and Leah in our Bible, and he became the start of the, the priesthood for Israel. It's often referred to as Levitical priesthood after him, Levi, and uh, that's where we get this. So, so Leviticus is about concerning the priests, and it deals with man's greatest problem. The book of Leviticus deals with man's greatest problem because the reality is God is holy, More than any other attribute, God is in the whole Bible, God is described as holy. And if you look at the book of Leviticus, I did a very cursory search, and there's at least 80 times. It'd be worth, as you read through it, as you look at it, mark every time where it mentions holiness or the holiness of God or being holy. So God is holy, which means he is set apart, which means he is other, which means he is pure morally. And so on one side you have God, who is completely holy. On the other side you have man. And man, by contrast, is the total opposite. Man is sinful, Man has rebelled against God. man has been corrupted and polluted by sin. So he is the opposite of God. So on one side you have a holy God who is perfectly pure, and on the other side you have mankind who are morally uh, bankrupt and polluted and by sin. And the big question is, how do sinful men and women approach a holy God? That's the greatest problem of mankind. That's always been the greatest problem of mankind. And the book of Leviticus deals with that. It answers that question. How can sinful men and women approach a holy God? How can they be reconciled to a holy God? How can they be in relationship with a holy God when the fact that sinful stuff cannot come into the presence of God? God's purity, God's power would just destroy it. So men and women cannot do that. But this answers the question. Because at the beginning of the story... We had Adam and Eve in the garden in Genesis, and what we find is they were living in the presence of God, and everything was good, but then mankind rebelled. They chose to go their own way, and as a result, they were separated from God, separated from his presence, and Leviticus is God's way of dealing with that situation, and let me just illustrate. You've opened the book of Leviticus. I'm going to read a verse from it. So Leviticus 1, verse 1, if you find it in your Bible, it says this. It's on the screen behind me there. It says, the Lord called Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting. The Lord God called Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting. We'll deal with the tent of meeting later, but this is God speaking to Moses, leader of God's people at the time, and he spoke out of the tent of meeting. But if you skip forward to Numbers 1 verse 1, which is the next book in our Bible, you find these words. The Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai in the tent of meeting. So what the book of Leviticus has done, all 27 chapters of it, has moved Moses from being outside the presence of God to inside the presence of God. He has gone from being outside the tent to inside the tent. And So the, the book of Leviticus is all about coming into his presence. Hence the title of the series. See what we did there? It's all about God's people coming into God's presence. It's about the Lord God making a way for sinful human beings to come into his presence and have relationship with him. It's all about restoring what was lost in Eden with Adam and Eve being restored to God's people now at Mount Sinai where the presence of God is dwelling. So that's the purpose of the book. That's what we're going to be looking at as we go through this series together. Now, where does this fit in the biblical story? So we have the Torah. The Torah is the um, first five books of the Bible. It's often referred to as the law or the books of Moses um, because they were written by Moses. And it's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, uh, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And the way that, that those books as themselves, that self contained unit within our Bible is structured, highlights the importance of Leviticus. Leviticus is the center, if you will, the, pic, uh, the pinnacle of that story in our Bible. Let me illustrate visually behind us, it should appear. Here we go. This is the way the first five books of our Bible work out. At the beginning, we have Genesis. What happens in Genesis? Everything's good. God creates heavens and earth, Adam and Eve, everything. But they, they mess up. They were, there was God's people in God's place under God's law and then they rebelled. And from that point comes separation. Man is separated from God. The nations are separated from one another. God, man is separated from the land because it's cursed. He's separated from God's blessing. And there is a moving throughout the book of Genesis from God's presence into the wilderness and ultimately to Egypt a place that is a pagan place that has a false god who leads it in Pharaoh. And what we have is we have the story of Abraham and Isaac and then Jacob and then his sons, Joseph being the most prominent one in that story. And what happens at the end of Genesis is God's people have moved from being in his presence, being in his land, to being in a foreign land far away from his presence. The good news to it, though, there is a thread of God's blessing in there because he speaks to Abraham and then to Isaac and then to Jacob, reminding them that he hasn't forgotten them and he's made a covenant with them. And the book of Genesis, in, in a sense, uh, ends with Jacob blessing his sons and reminding them what God has done. So we have God calling out his people for a purpose through the book of Genesis as they move away from his presence. And then we get the book of Exodus. Israel are in slavery under Pharaoh Uh, God raises up Moses, very famous part of the Bible. Lots of cool things happen. He goes to Pharaoh, let my people go. Uh, There are plagues, there's redemption, there's the Passover, the blood, there's the Red Sea. And then Israel enter the wilderness. And they're heading towards Mount Sinai, which is the mountain of the Lord, the place where God will put his presence and they will see him. And they come to that place and there's uh, the Ten Commandments and it's all good. But at the same time, it all goes very bad. The people complain and moan, and they say, we want to go back to Egypt. Yes, to slavery. We had a good deal in Egypt, they say. There's no food and water out here. We want to go back. They, they commit apostasy where they forsake the Lord, and they worship the golden calf that is made, and God's judgment comes on the people. And so even at the foot of the mountain, with God's presence on the mountain, they are still rebelling. And at the end of Exodus, we have the building of the tabernacle, which is the place where God's presence would dwell, the big tent. And there's all the details of the furniture. The front part of Exodus is dead cool. We love all those stories. And you get to the back end of Exodus, and it's all details about building stuff. Not quite so interesting. And so what we have, people have been far from God in Egypt. They've been moving back towards God's presence. And then you get the book of Leviticus, which takes place... The whole time at Mount Sinai, there's no moving. The book lasts about a year. And in that place, they are at the presence of God, at the foot of the mountain. And the book of Leviticus details sacrifices and rituals and holiness and cleansing and basically how people can dwell in God's presence where they're before him. And so what has happened from the beginning of Genesis to Leviticus is people have returned to God's presence. What was lost has been restored but then the story goes on and it kind of goes down from there. We get to the book of Numbers. And in Exodus, the tabernacle was built. In Numbers, the tabernacle is taken down, ready to travel, to go to the promised land and enter it. But what happens? Spies are sent into the land. Go check it out, the land that God's promised to Abraham. We're going to go and get it. The spies come back. Two of them say, Joshua and Caleb, yes, let's go. We got it. Ten of them say, no, we can't defeat them. There are giants in the land. It's terrible. And the people of Israel believe the ten. And as a result... God says, no, you can't go into the land. The people complain. They commit apostasy again, just like they did in Exodus. And the result is that entire generation dies in the wilderness, 40 years of wandering, a place they could have got to with a day's walk. He says, nope, you're not going to make it into the land. And then a new generation is raised up, and then we get Deuteronomy, the final part, where Moses is there explaining to the people he's reminding them of God's faithfulness to Abraham, God's faithfulness to Isaac, God's faithfulness to Jacob, God's faithfulness to his people in Egypt. Reminds them of the covenant that has been made. And just like it was in Genesis where they were with God's people in God's place, they stand on the precipice of the promised land with a new generation saying, we're going to go and take the land God's given us and we're going to be God's people in God's place under God's rule. And so what we have in the Torah, if you look at those first five books of the Bible, in the middle of the Torah, in the pinnacle, is Leviticus. It's the bit that we don't like, it's not got the cool stories in, but it's the place that it was all heading to. Because in that place, they're in God's presence, at the foot of Mount Sinai, with God's presence on the mountain, and God is speaking to them, this is how you're going to be my people, this is how you're going to live, this is how you're going to express who I am to the world around you. And even the book of Leviticus itself has a structure similar to that. So if you want to throw that out, Philip, we have the book of Leviticus itself has this. I couldn't do it the other way because it, it too many words. So if you put it up, you'll see what I mean. The book of Leviticus has a, um, a sort of a symmetry structure. Because what you have on the two ends, you have the two rituals. You have the ritual sacrifices Which was a bunch of um, things, uh, offerings that the people of Israel had to do. You had the uh, burnt offering, the grain offering, the fellowship offering, the guilt offering, and the sin offering that they had to do. And so all those are laid out in the first seven chapters. And on the other side, you then have the ritual calendar. Which is all the 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 way that their year was structured with the weekly Sabbath, then you had the yearly, you had the Passover, and you had the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the Feast of First Fruits, and the Feast of Weeks, and the Feast of Trumpets, and the Feast of Tabernacles, and then the Year of Jubilee once every fifty years. So those are the two kind of ends of the book. We move in, we find out about the priests. We have the ordination of the priests, and then the qualifications of the priests on either side of those. So the These were the people who were to minister to God on behalf of man but also to minister to the people on behalf of God and actually do that. And they had to be qualified and they had to be ordained and they had to be put in place and there was all that. And then we move in again and then we have the daily holiness and daily purity laws where how the people of God enter God's presence? Well, they have to be pure. They have to be clean, and so there are certain things they have to do and certain things they'd have to not do. And then also, how do they live as God's people? If God is holy, they've got to be holy. And so God writes out, this is how you live in daily holiness, and he deals with things uh, to do with sexual purity, uh, care for the poor, social justice, all those things. This is how we live as God's people. And then in the middle, at the center, is the most significant chapter of Leviticus. And some would argue, I read commentators saying, this is the most significant chapter in the first five books of the Bible. If we think about Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, there's lots of crazy stuff happens there. Lots of famous stuff happens there. But they would say this is the most significant chapter in the first five books of the Bible, which is chapter 16 of Leviticus, which is the Day of Atonement. And apparently in Israelite culture, it wasn't referred to as the Day of Atonement, it was just referred to as the Day It was the day of the year. There was no other day that even came close to it of significance, importance. So when one Israelite said to the other, the day is coming, no more explanation was needed. And on the day of atonement, the high priest would enter the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle and he would come before the presence of God and offer a sacrifice on behalf of the people. That there would be atonement, there would be reconciliation, there would be coming together so the people of God could dwell in his presence. And so that's the structure of the book as a whole. That's what we're going to go through and we're going to deal with it in chunks like that. Let's look at some of the themes of Leviticus. The themes that we're going to have to, uh, that you're going to come across as we look and as we study and as we deal with that. Now the first one is the whole idea of the tabernacle. I've mentioned that a couple of times. Now the tabernacle was key uh, in kind of Israelite culture. It later became the temple in Jerusalem that Solomon built under David, and we talked about that in our Elijah series that we did um, last term. And at the end of Exodus, there's a long section where uh, God details to Moses, this is how you're going to build the tabernacle. The tabernacle is a tent uh, surrounded by, by a wall, and then it had certain furniture that went into the tabernacle, some of it outside, some of it inside, and it had to be made and built. And although that's not directly um, spoken about in Leviticus, it is present implicitly as a theme throughout it. Whenever we talk about uh, uh, sacrifices and the priests working and all those things, that all took place at the tabernacle. And if you go online, there's a whole bunch of uh, smart people who've read Exodus and then try to um, do it visually. And I don't know about you, but I always like to see pictures of things. So can we put that out? This is the... Um The picture of the tabernacle, which is what was going to be present, and it it came in the middle of the people of Israel. The people of Israel had to camp around it in certain orders, so it was right in the center. And what you had, you had the wall round the outside, you had the priest ministering there, and in the courtyard outside, you had the um, altar of sacrifice, which we'll deal with, you had the laver for washing. Then inside the tent, you had the lamp, you had the showbread, and you had the altar of incense. Um, and that was the holy place that the priest could go into. And then right at the back, in the most holy place that the high priest could enter once a year, the Holy of Holies, stood the Ark of the Covenant, which had the mercy seat where the blood um, of the sacrifice was put to make atonement for the people. And so the tabernacle as a whole is implicit throughout uh, Leviticus. Uh, and as we study it, and, and next week when we look at all the sacrifices and the offerings, they all took place there at the, um, at the altar outside Um, The tabernacle. And so that whole area is huge in the people of Israel. It was right in the center of the camp so everyone knew where it is and everyone went around it. And so it was the center of their life and it was a constant reminder of where God should be in their life. He was at the center. The other themes that we'll look at as we go through Leviticus is the whole idea of approaching God. If we're going to go into his presence, what does that mean? Well, it means to bring atonement an atonement basically means at one moment, to bring together, to reconcile what was separated, what was torn apart, it comes together. And because of the holiness of God and the sin of mankind, they needed to be brought together, which is what sacrifice um, was all about. And so when we look at the sacrifice and we look at the priests who did that, their ordination, their qualification, how Israel was supposed to live in holiness, it's all about approaching God and bringing it together and approaching a holy God. So as we do that, the theme time and time again has been this is how people can come into God's presence. This is how people can live before a holy God. Another thing we're going to come across that a lot, uh, if you've read Leviticus, is the whole idea of holiness uh, and cleanliness. And uh, uh, Leviticus divides things into being holy and common. Um, A holy item was something that was set apart. God is holy. And a common item was basically everything else. Everything that wasn't holy uh, was considered common. So common wasn't a bad thing. It just wasn't something that was set apart that was holy. And holy could be, items can be holy, people could be holy, like the priests, um, as well as the, the objects like the tabernacle, God himself is holy, and common was everything else. so Everyday items could be holy, uh, could common people were if they weren't in the priesthood. That wasn't a bad thing. It just wasn't set apart. The other thing was the whole idea of cleanliness and uncleanliness. We're going to come across to that um, Matt is going to deal with that. When I divided up the sermons, it just fell that way. <laughs> You're most welcome. The idea of things being clean and unclean. Anything that was clean was something that was ritually pure before God. And unclean was something that was not ritually pure or was ritually impure and unclean doesn't mean bad or sinful, because things, things could become unclean, people could become unclean, items could become unclean, and then there were things you had to do, rituals you had to go through to become clean again, washing um, and the like. And so it wasn't necessarily a bad thing, but it was something that the people had to be aware of, because only a richly pure person could then come into God's presence. And if you'd done something, you had to sort it out. And the, the book of Leviticus... Uh, kind of has a lot of those kind of things uh, that we will look at, and at first, for us in our 21st century minds, they're going to appear really strange and really odd, but there is purpose in God's word, and it is profitable for us to teach us, to train us, and so we're going to listen to it, we're going to sit under it, and we're going to apply it to our lives. So, what does this mean for us looking ahead um, for the next eight weeks as we study the book of Leviticus. What we're going to do is we're going to take it by sections. We're going to take it like when you saw the structure, we're going to take it in chunks and we're going to go through it. And we're not going to go through it line by line. It will take far too long. And so we hope to have it all wrapped up by Easter. Okay, So that's where we're going. So it's not going to last forever. And what I'm going to do... Each week is I'm going to ask you probably to do something, a little bit of homework. told you I was going to go full teacher, so there's going to be a little bit of homework for you to do just to help you grapple with this. Um, And One of the things I'm going to ask you this week is I want want you to watch a couple of videos that we'll put out on the email and we'll put out on the WhatsApp that you can look at that have come out, the Bible Project guys, that help give you a structure to the book of Leviticus, so I'd love you to look at that, watch them. They'll only like... What five minutes long? They're not long, and they're super well produced, so they're a joy uh, to watch to help you. So I'll put them. In. What I'd also love you to do is try and have a go at listening to the first seven chapters of Leviticus. I did it the other day. I went for a walk. It was about half hour. I put it on my headphones because my my Bible app le- speaks to you. It was this lovely Irish lady. <laughs> who who spoke me through the first seven chapters of Leviticus, and I'd love you to have a go at listening to it before next Sunday, just so you've got an idea of what's coming. And it'd be good to go out and walk to it, because then at least you're doing something, and you're not sitting there just trying to pour over all these sacrifices. I'm aware we're doing Christmas to the cross, um, and that's what you should be reading. Mark chapter 3 this week. Carry on with doing that, but maybe get out this week. Put your headphones in half an hour around the block, listen to the first seven chapters of Leviticus, watch a couple of videos. Um, we've watched the videos with our kids, they love them. So that's if you've got kids, you can watch them with them, help them understand, um, get into it. So do that because when we come back next week, we're doing Leviticus 1 to 7. And I'm just so you know, I'm not reading it all out. So you can, so I'm not just saying, right, Most of the sermon is me reading it, and then at two minutes at the end, I'll bring some application. No, no, I'm hoping that you're kind of a little bit familiar before we come. So Leviticus 1 to 7 next week, that's the single largest chunk. So after that, they'll all be smaller. Um, That's the big one. Uh, The rest are all shorter shorter sections. So we'll be doing that. I've also got some resources for you today. Now, (laughs) thanks, Ben. Thank you for that. You were the only one. What we do here is we love to give away books and resources for people to read and, and we give them away free because it's just part of who we are and we love to kind of just say, bless us, read this because it will help you and it will grow in your love for God and your service to him. Um, but I'm giving away ones that are exclusively about Leviticus today. So let's just see, see how many of you run out of your chairs and pile up down the front and say, I want one of those. So what I've got, <laughs> what I've got here... This could be one of those tumbleweed moments. I've got two books. I've got two lots. I've got um, books. Uh, called. This is called Be Holy. It's a, a series by a guy whose name I can't pronounce. He's probably American. But there you go. But this is called Be Holy. And this is a really good paperback level um, takes you through the book of Leviticus in sections. And so if you just want to read it just to help your understanding on the book of Leviticus, I read this back in the last year, found it really helpful just to understand the book of Leviticus and say, oh, yeah, that's brilliant. And it takes you the sections just like we're doing and brings, talks you through what's happening and then brings some application just to help you to understand it. So I've got three copies of Be Holy um, by that guy. Um, please come and grab one. If, you, if they run out, we will get you um, another copy. No, no, one moves. And the other one, I've got, um, I've got two of these scripture journals for the Book of Leviticus, which are fantastic for taking notes. I've used these so many times. I'm currently going through the Book of Haggai, um, I've, some of the minor prophets, and I'm using these. I've done it for Acts, I've done it for Isaiah, I've done it for Mark's Gospel. So these are brilliant too. If you want to cut a copy of these, is to help you take notes. I've got the scripture text and stuff. I love these. So these are a couple of um, ESV scripture journals. Oh, whoa! whoa, whoa. <laughs> no, no one wants the books go on then. If you want another one, Ellie, we can get you one, all right? So we'll do that too. So there's that. So please get stuck into Leviticus. That's what we're going to be looking for. God is going to speak to you. Don't let your kind of, oh dear, it's a bit weird, put you off for that. Um, Last thing we're going to do now in terms of looking ahead is the fact that all of this points to Jesus. Hopefully some of you have got there already. But at the end of the day, everything we're going to look at, we're going to get back to him. Because we're going to look at what happened with Old Testament Israel, uh, at the foot of Mount Sinai, coming for the presence of God. But what we find in our Bibles is the Old Testament is the shadow that the New Testament fulfills. The Old Testament is the shadow. Jesus is the substance. Well, so when we talk about coming into his presence, we're talking about coming before Jesus and coming through Jesus. It's all about his death, his sacrifice once for all for all of us that made a way that God's people could enter God's presence. And so as we preach through the book of Leviticus, as we look at some of these weird things that we're like, what is that? Why is that there? Ultimately, we're going to get to Jesus. And my heart is this as we study something, as we look at God's word, is that as a result of that, we will come before Jesus more. That we will come into his presence more willingly, more, uh, more kind of worshipfully, more sort of full of his spirit, more aware of what he has done. As we read about sacrifices in the Old Testament, things they had to go through, we can shout out, thank you, Jesus, we don't have to because of you because you were the ultimate sacrifice, you were the Passover lamb, you died once for all, so all this stuff has gone away and has been fulfilled in you, and as a a people, as a family, we are to come into God's presence together, worshipping, crying out his name and saying, God, you are worthy of our praise, and as we gather as a big family on a Sunday morning where we are now, as we gather in smaller groups, in our life groups, as we gather to pray on Tuesday that we would come joyfully into his presence based on what Jesus has done. Not on our own righteousness, not on our own kind of ability like we've, we've sorted it, we've done it because we haven't. We're still the same sinful people but we've been redeemed by what God has done. We've been made holy so we can now come before a holy God. And we can come boldly into his presence and we can come and cry out to him. And we can praise his name and bring our requests and say, God, would you move in this land? Would you save people on Alpha? Would you move in our kids' work? Would you heal the sick? Would you do all those things? But only because he has made us holy. He has made us acceptable. And so as we go through this, that is my heart. That is where we're going to get to. Amen? Amen. Amen. Do you want to stand up? The band want to come back up? I'm going to pray. And we are going to worship God, together. Do you want to just hold out your hands? Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for your word. I want to thank you for all of it. Even the strange bits tucked away that we tend to avoid. Lord, I want to thank you that all of it points to you. I want to say thank you that all of scripture is about you from beginning to end. You are the purpose of it all. You are the hope of it all. You are the center of it all. You are the end and the beginning of it all, Lord God. I want to thank you as your people now that we can joyfully come into your presence because you have died and rose again. You were that one great sacrifice for all time. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you that you made a way that sinful men and women can approach a holy God. I want to thank you that when you died, you made us holy because we are in you. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for that. I want to thank you like the priests of old. We can come into your presence boldly. We can bring our offering of worship of ourselves, of our praises, of our prayers, of lifting up your name. Lord Jesus, we pray today, God you fill us with your spirit. You open our hearts to see, you open our eyes to see you afresh, that we may honour you, that we may worship you, that we may love you. And God's people said, Amen.